This program is brought to you by RTS on iTunes U from the virtual campus of Reformed Theological Seminary. To listen to other courses or to access other materials from RTS, please visit us at itunes.rts.edu. Lecture 19, Daniel, an introduction and overview. As is our usual practice in the first lecture on any given book, this lecture will be devoted to talking about Daniel the man and then Daniel the book. That is to say, we'll be talking about the prophet himself and his historical situation and then the um, book of Daniel that is a summary of his life and his major teachings. So let's first think about Daniel the man, Roman number one, letter A, figure 19-1. Figure 19-1 is a review of some of the major historical events that took place near or during the lifetime and ministry of Daniel and just to remind us of certain things that we have already seen in this course. You remember in 609 that Joshua dies at Megiddo and Judah is dominated by Necho of Egypt and Jehoiakim is installed as the king of Judah by Necho of Egypt. The Babylonians then defeat Egypt at Carchemish which means that the Babylonians take control over Judah and Nebuchadnezzar is established as the king of Babylon at this time. Then Nebuchadnezzar moves against Jerusalem and Jehoiachin and the nobles were exiled to Babylon. Then in 556 to 539, and now we're going beyond anything we've seen in the historical dimension before, Nabonidus becomes king of Babylon, but he deserts his post with uh, a bout of mental illness, lunacy as it uh, has been called, and um, because he goes and worships the moon goddess Sin, and um, Belshazzar acts in his place as king. Then in 539 we have the fall of Babylon to Cyrus the Persian and he takes control both of the Babylonian kingdom and the vassals including Judah. And then 539 to 530 Cyrus is the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. Now Daniel's own personal life fits into this portrait in a number of significant ways. First, we find in looking at figure 19.2 that Nebuchadnezzar deports Daniel and others, chapter 1, verse 1, around 605. When the Babylonians defeat the Egyptians at Carchemish and Judah is dominated by Babylon, um, the Nebuchadnezzar deports some of the leading figures of Babylon. Then in 604, the second year, Nebuchadnezzar dreams and Daniel interprets his dream, chapter 2, verse 1. Then in the first year of Belshazzar, Daniel has a dream about Belshazzar. And then finally in um, 554 to 539 in that range, Belshazzar sees the writing on the wall and Daniel interprets the writing. 539 to 530, Darius, who is mentioned in the book of Daniel, who may actually be Cyrus, the Persian Cyrus. And to know that, you, the arguments in favor of that view, you need to look at Joyce Baldwin's commentary on Daniel in the Tyndale Old Testament commentary. And you may also want to, if you prefer, looking at the NIV study note on Daniel 5.31. In chapter 6.1 and 9.1, this Darius probably is referring to Cyrus. Kings in the ancient world had many names, sometimes taking the names of uh, their fathers or their grandfathers as well as their own personal name. Then in 537, in Cyrus' third year, Daniel receives a special revelation in chapter 10, verse 1. 
So what do we dis what do we find then that takes place? Well, in Daniel's life, the extent of his ministry, uh, figure 19.3. Uh, first, he was taken off to Babylon in 605, and after he was taken to Babylon, the second deportation took place in 597. Jerusalem is destroyed in 586, and then the Cyrus Edict, this is another major event that took place during Daniel's ministry, the Cyrus Edict took place in 538-537, and then, of course, we find that he does receive a revelation according to chapter 10, verse 1, in the year 537. So we know that Daniel's um, ministry extended from 605 at least to 537 and it's even possible that he may have had a later ministry as well and beyond this date but at least his ministry went this far that is to 537 after the Cyrus edict now what is the focus of Daniel's ministry Roman number one letter D figure 19 4 there really are two major things that Daniel does and his ministry, at least according to the book of Daniel. The first thing he does, is that we have to note, is that he ministers before kings. He ministers before King Nebuchadnezzar, and before Belshazzar, and before Cyrus. Knowing, of, Remembering, of course, that the name Darius in the book of Daniel may refer, and probably does refer to Cyrus, um, then, then Daniel re ministers before these three kings. And in his own way, Daniel deals with another issue or another specific topic, and that is, when will the restoration of Judah take place? And what is the future of the people of God in the light of the major events that are taking place in Daniel's own lifetime? Included among those are the deportations, the destruction of Jerusalem, and then the Cyrus Edict. Daniel asks the question, not just things that are related to the particular kings before whom he is ministering. Remember, he interprets their dreams and reads uh, special revelations to them and things like that. But he also is concerned with um, the people of God, the people of Judah and Israel, and asking what their future is going to be and when will the restoration take place. So as we think about the man Daniel and his life and ministry, we need to keep in mind the basic focus of his life in terms of the events and especially the major events in the life of Israel that took place during his ministry. That is to say, he was taken away to Babylon in 605 when the Babylonians took over Judah from the Egyptians. And then he saw and watched the big deportation in 597. He was aware of the fall of Jerusalem and he was aware of the Cyrus Edict and his ministry extended beyond that and into the days of Cyrus himself. As we remember this focus of Daniel's life, we will be able to make sense out of his book because in many respects the book builds or comes right out of the life of Daniel himself. Let's move on then to Roman numeral 2, Daniel the book, and first the question of final composition. There are many variations on the critical approach to the book of Daniel. Figure 19.5 summarizes what might be called the main line view uh, among critical scholars as to how the book of Daniel came to be. And that is to say that the first six chapters, which are fundamentally narratives relating to Daniel and his dealings with the um, various kings of Babylon, um, 
the first six chapters were probably authentic Persian tales about this wise man Daniel. This is the way that the critics think about it and may very well have dealt with uh, a real Jew named Daniel who served in the various courts of Babylon and the Persian Empire. But what's important to understand is that critical scholars look at Daniel chapter 7 through 12 and they see an emphasis on the Greeks and what the Greeks did, sometimes in great detail. Um, and we'll see as we go through some of those prophecies that the details of chapter 10 and 11, for example, are so remarkable that it's no wonder that many critical scholars would assign this material to a very late date. They assign it to the period of around 167 during the Maccabean revolts and assume that because they give such detail of those battles and the various political struggles that went on during those periods that they um, actually come from that time and were written as propaganda pieces for the Mac Maccabean revolts. But this of course is based on a naturalistic view of Old Testament prophecy that um, that prophecy cannot take place before the event and so as evangelicals we reject this and consider all of the book of Daniel authentically from Daniel. That brings us to figure 19.6 which is a summary of a typical evangelical approach to the book of Daniel. First we want to acknowledge at the top of the page that there are at least two different major sections to the book of Daniel. One is biographical stories these are in the third person where Daniel is uh, described as um, by the name Daniel and is described in the third person and it could be that Daniel himself told these stories to scribes of his or students of his. Um, it could be that someone who was aware of Daniel wrote these things down but that's, that makes up basically the first six chapters and that is that the, these biographical stories about Daniel and some of his friends. Then you have in the latter portion of the book, chapters uh, 7 through 12, an autobiographical section. These are in the first person and their first person reports of visions, um, presumably given to us by Daniel because he, in fact, um, speaks of himself in the first person. And uh, the New Testament witness confirms this where in Matthew 24, 15, um, Jesus refers to the prophecies of Daniel and then refers to Daniel 9, 27, 11, 31, and 12, 11, thus not making it clear that from a New Testament point of view, these prophecies, these visions should be treated as um, coming from the actual prophet Daniel. One of, the, one of the greatest evidences in favor of the unity of the book is the dependence of chapters 7 through 12 on chapter 2. Chapter 2, as you recall, is about Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the great statue with its various parts and, um, it's, and what the significance of that is as Daniel interpreted it for him. And what we notice is that, the, as, we'll, as we'll see later on in our lectures on Daniel, that the program that's set out in chapter 2 of the various kingdoms coming in sequence represented by the various parts of the statue, that these things are reflected in chapter 7 through 12 and the history that's given there and then the visions of the future that's given there. And so what we discover then is that the, um, that the inner coherence of this book really does support the idea that it was given to us as a unit and not something that was originally written in one place and then brought over into another and expanded by a variety of different groups.
When we ask the question of when this book was finally composed, we have to set the earliest limit by chapter 10, verse 1, where it's mentioned the third year Cyrus, king of Persia, and that would take us somewhere around 537, chapter 10, verse 1. So the last prophecy um, would have to be the earliest time when this book could have been written. And Cyrus is the last king mentioned by name in this book, so it's probably written within Cyrus's lifetime, we would think. Um, not necessarily, but this is a good possibility. And so we're going to place the final composition date sometime between 537 and 530 in that range, sometime after the Cyrus edict and after the, um, the early days of Cyrus' reign. This then raises the question, as we come to letter B of Roman numeral 2, about the literary structure of the book. The, the outline of the book of Daniel is a very simple one. Figure 19.7 illustrates it, that we have first stories about Daniel, and then we have visions of Daniel. Uh, chapters 1 through 6, then chapters 7 through 12, perhaps one of the easiest outlines you could have. You could go into more detail, as we will later on in other lectures, but this is the basic overview, 1 through 6, being stories, and then the visions of chapters 7 through 12. Now we must raise the question, for whom was the book of Daniel written? Roman numeral 2, letter C, the original meaning. Figure 19.8 scopes out some of the issues that are involved in analyzing for whom this book was written. And the first thing we have to say is to remember that this book had to be written after the Cyrus Edict. 537 to 530 was the range we gave earlier, and that means that we have two possible audiences. First, the returnees, that is, those who went back with Zerubbabel and went back in the other waves of migrations back to the, um, the land of promise. And then we have also those who remained in Babylon, the Jews who remained in the kingdoms outside of um, the Promised Land. Well, which, for which group do we think this book was written? I don't believe it was primarily, at least, written primarily for um, the returnees. Uh, there are no exhortations in the book that would apply to the returnees. In other words, it doesn't talk about how they are to build the um, kingdom, how they are to restore things. It's not even as programmatic, as it were, um, as uh, the book of Ezekiel for example, that, that describes how the temple is to be built and those sorts of things. Um, there's no programmatic design. There are no particular exhortations in the book. Well, is it for the, those who are remaining in exile? Uh, my tendency is to think that it probably is. Why? Because the first six chapters of this book are really modeling stories. That is, they're stories of, that model how the Israelites are to live outside of the land, how they are to exert influence, how they are to live according to the law of God in a pagan land, and they show how wonderfully Daniel and his friends did this. And I think that the, one of the applications of this to the original audience was that they needed to live in this way as well. And so Daniel's modeling story is very important. And then also Daniel's concern, the book's concern with foreign powers. You can see a, a parallel between this book, say, and the book of Esther, which also focuses on the life of those who remained outside of the Promised Land even after the Cyrus Edict. And so I think that it's best to think of this book as written for those who remained outside the land um, after the Cyrus Edict. So if we take this kind of 
portrait and we ask ourselves the question, what, the, what did this book mean originally, looking at figure 19.9, we might say that the stories about Daniel model behavior in captivity. The chapters 1 through 6 provide models for how to live in captivity, and I think that would be one of the things that the original audience would certainly see. But then chapters 7 through 12 answer the question, what has happened to the restoration program? Remember that the Israelites went back to the land ex from expecting from prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel, expecting tremendous things to take place. And the book of Daniel in chapters 7 through 12 begin to explain why things did not progress in the restoration community the way that they were expected to progress. And we'll be looking at that in future lectures. So we have here then stories about Daniel's life and his friends' lives that would be models for those in captivity. And also we have answers to the question of what was happening for the restored community. But besides this, these two sections of the book also demonstrate first in the first six chapters that, the, that uh, Daniel's words about Israel's future um, are reliable. In other words, chapters 7 through 12 provide us visions of, of Israel's future. Well, what makes Daniel's visions of the future reliable? The answer, his reliability as an interpreter of dreams as an instrument of revelation in chapters 1 through 6. And so then the first six chapters can also be seen as establishing Daniel's credibility. And then chapters 7 through 12 can be understood as answering the question of what is ahead for Israel. So I've summed up the original meaning something like this. Those who remain outside the land should learn from Daniel's life how to remain devoted and how to have influence as they hope for the full restoration of Israel in the distant future. We're going to discover that one of the key insights that Daniel has and that he gives in this book is that the full restoration of the people of God is something that's going to happen in the distant future and not something that will take place very soon. So then in terms of appropriation, figure 1910, Roman numeral 3, we see here that in the first six chapters we have prophecies that in the days of these readers had already been fulfilled and so the Israelites can look back and see that Daniel had prophecies that were in process of being fulfilled. And the New Testament tells us that many of Daniel's prophecies had been fulfilled and were being fulfilled in the New Testament times as well. And then the application today, of course, is that we must see that many of Daniel's prophecies have taken place and take hope in those prophetic fulfillments. And of course, on the other hand, we have many prophecies in the book of Daniel that await to be fulfilled. And the original meaning of this is that the Israelites reading the book must look forward in hope. The New Testament says that Christ and his followers were to look forward to their future through the pro Daniel's prophecies. And even we today must hope in the fulfillment to come of all those things that the prophet Daniel spoke. The preceding program has been brought to you by RTS on iTunes U from the virtual campus of Reformed Theological Seminary and may not be reproduced or disseminated in part or in whole for sale or for profit without expressed written consent. To listen to other courses or to access other materials from RTS, please visit us at itunes.rts.edu.